I want to talk about the goal of a lifetime. The goal of a lifetime. Who in here has kind of like a type A personality? You like checklists? You like you, that, that, that high you get? <sighs> or on, on your phone where you, you, there's a bubble and you click the bubble? Or the thumb mark next to it or the green check mark? It feels good, right? It's like my life has purpose today. To, to, to other people, you're like, that is crazy. But whenever you're a planner, whenever you like to set goals, it gives you this feeling and this sense of accomplishment. Sometimes you can actually struggle in a day whenever you have that kind of a personality and you're like, has my life even valued anything today? Not a single check mark. I moved the job to 90%, but there's still that 10%. It doesn't matter what I've accomplished so far. I didn't bring it over the finish line for the touchdown. I didn't do it. I'm discouraged. But then the next day you get the check mark and you're like, yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. You know, that is life. And we do love goals. I think about this man named Thomas Edison, which thanks to him, he didn't give up his goal. We have light today. Our world has been completely transformed by a man who failed more than he succeeded. He failed literally thousands of times. And someone told him about it. He said, actually, no, I just found 10,000 ways that didn't work and one that would work. And it was that kind of a mindset that drove him forward and allowed him to reach that goal. Had it not been for him willing to fail, I mean, honestly, the question is, how much longer, how many generations more would we have gone without electricity? I mean, really, our lives have been completely transformed by, by people who are trailblazers, by people who had goals, by people who made great sacrifices, even as we're talking today, Veterans Day, sacrifices, goals, set things forward for other people to enjoy. And whenever these people reach their goals, they enjoy them deeply. And I want to ask us today, what is your goal? And I want to encourage you, you can even take out your phone you can open to your note and your phone, you know, whatever app you have. You can pull out a piece of paper and a pen. And I just want to ask you, what is your goal? What is it? What's your life goal? You might have multiple. I love goals. I have all of these thoughts and things that I would love to do. And most of the time, I never move forward to any of them because they're just, just thoughts and not much more than that. Even if you say, I'm actually, Andrew, I, I struggle in that. I'm not a person with goals. I would say this. You're living actually what your goal is now. Even if you say just coasting through life and getting to heaven one day, that's your goal. Your goal then is to live a comfortable life. And all of your actions will then align with that goal to say, I'm going to make my life as comfortable as possible, whatever that means to me, with the hopes of getting to heaven one day. That's your goal, stated or unstated. We all have things that are primary to our lives. And these primary things dictate all of our actions. Even if it's just survival. So I want to encourage you to do that. To write that down even as we're going forward today. You know, even our church has a mission and a vision. We're driven by the greatest commandment. Dedicated to the great commission. Thus developing a glorious church. Everything, every ministry, every Bible study, all of it in our church should align to that one goal. To love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, our minds, our soul, and our strength. To go into all the world 
to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all these things everywhere, and developing a glorious church because in the church, the glory of Jesus Christ will shine forth to all the universe and will be manifested the glories of him in the body. We talk about our vision that is the work in the church, our Bible studies, our prayer meetings, men's meetings, women's meetings, child care, young mothers, 50s and older uh, fellowships, all these things, building each other up, encouraging each other so that we would then do the work of the church, going out and making disciples, loving people, speaking the name of Jesus as we do kind things so that we may advance his kingdom. That's our mission and vision as a church. Because without that stated goal, there's no clarity. And so all of us, in some way or another, we do have a goal. Or maybe we need to refine it more. It might be educational success. It might be physical success, financial success, family success. And your goal and your measurement of success will never look necessarily like Elon Musk's, right? I don't know how that kind of thing happens to someone. You invent cars, you invent satellites, you try to go to Mars, you do all these other things, and you buy Twitter. I mean, not all of us, not all of us are going to have that sort of a definition of financial success. It might just be, I want to get to the place where I have $200 extra every month. And that's your goal, and you work towards it. It might be to have a house. It might be to have a spouse. It might be for your marriage not to fall apart. It might be, I want to finally live free from abuse or for the chains of addiction and bondage. It could be to be able to actually have children. These can be our goals. Goals are not always these selfish things. They're just things that our hearts sincerely long for and which drive us every single day. And so I want to ask us all as well, Beyond what is your goal, but what do your actions say your goals are? What do my actions really declare that my goals are? Because I can say that I have certain goals, but the way I live every day is going to actually proclaim to all those around me. It's going to proclaim to my wife and to my children. I say that they are important to me. I say that, you know, busy work around the house is not more important to them, but the way I live every day is actually going to bear out what is really true for Andrew's life. And it's going to bear out what's true in your life at the workplace when no one's looking every single day. And I want to ask us in this, what is our legacy with the goals we have in our minds right now? If we live somehow for another 30 or 40 years and we check every box. We accomplish every goal. What is it? What have we done? And I don't mean that in a negative way to say, you see, all that's worth nothing. No, no, but really just evaluate it. Test it. At the end of my life, what do my actions really say? What do my actions, what are they going to lead to at the end of my life? And don't cut yourself any slack. Ask God to come in and really evaluate it. Was it the house that you got? And now you got it? And now our goal is to keep it clean? Man, I go insane trying to keep my house clean. My goal is to have a clean house because it gives me a, an uncluttered mind. But it, I never reach that goal, it seems like, except maybe once or twice a week. But what is our goal? If we complete all of them, what will people remember about us? What 
will be our legacy at the end of it? What are we really leaving behind? What will be the measure we use to determine if our life has been successful or unsuccessful? I think it's great if your goal is to win the CrossFit Games and you win it. Hallelujah. I think that's awesome. I wish I could do that, but I'm not Rich Froning. I'm not Matt Frazier. I'm not going to do those things. I don't have the skills. I don't have the physique. I'm not going to dedicate the time. I tore something in my knee a while back and it clicks every time I do a squat now. So I can do the squats, but I'll never do that. I think there's nothing wrong having goals to invent something, to accomplish something, to do something great with your life. I mean, that's what God put in Daniel. Genius, administration, Wisdom for his glory. He gave Joseph the ability, mathematically, organizational skills, to be the governor of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh, to his glory. God gives us creativity. And if you're like me, and if you have these goals, and you can sometimes shut yourself in with your books and things like this and be kind of an introverted, inside-the-doors person, I pray God would also break us out of that and help us to live with all the freedom that we can live with. All the freedom that he can live with. It was amazing as I was talking about, thinking about the goal of a lifetime. I first thought this. There's no way I can preach this. I feel so convicted. I am so not what I want to be. I, I see myself as falling short. How can I possibly talk about these things? Which is a good place to start. But then after that, and after I typed up all my notes, then I began to realize like this hunger within me to really live life to the fullness that Christ wants me to, to see these things. I want to talk about one man with one goal. I want to talk about the Apostle Paul. If you would, open up to Philippians chapter 3. I'm really excited today. Philippians chapter 3. Paul was not what you would call a chill guy. He, he was not the kind of guy that, I mean, I don't see it, that on his downtime is binge watching, you know, games on a Saturday, four or five hours. That might be what you do. Hey, you know what? Uh, the Lord can talk to you about whether, what he allows you, what he doesn't allow you. I don't see Paul doing that. I don't see him kind of relaxing without a book in his hand. He was intense. He did like sports. I do know that. Paul really liked sports, or at least he really understood them because he talked about sports and the athletic games all the time in his letters to the church. He was speaking to them in their culture. He said, run the race. Or he said, be a good soldier. Try to win the prize. A person, when they go to win the race, they, they beat their body into submission. That is not a relaxed guy. He's not like, I'm going to go to Planet Fitness, and I'm gonna, just going to get on the treadmill for the next 30 minutes. This guy is under the weights, free weights. He's grunting. He's making noises. They're kicking him out of Planet Fitness. He's got chalk clapping, flying. You know, they have the, the, the jerk alert or whatever the alarm is over there. You can't make noise. And then they feed you pizza on a Friday. That was not Paul's idea. He was intense. He's the guy who has the 10,000 piece puzzle. He puts it all together and he frames it. And then he's looking for the next one whenever he goes out to town the following week. He was everything he wanted to be. He had one goal, one single goal or several, but one that comes to my mind is the resurrection. Even before he was a believer in Christ, this man wanted the promise 
of the resurrection. He was a Pharisee. And we're told here in Philippians chapter 3, speaking to Christians as a Christian, he reflects back on his life before Jesus. And listen to the intensity. We'll start at verse 3. For we are the circumcision who work, worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul is saying, don't put any confidence in your flesh. But listen to this. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he wrote that by the Holy Spirit. That was inspired. This man is speaking the truth. He's not exaggerating. He was everything he wanted to be. He nearly, it seemed, would have reached his goal, except he reached it wrongly through the wrong covenant, not by faith. But he had reason to boast, to celebrate. If anyone knows the names of Matt Frazier and Rich Froning, between the two of them, they had nine individual wins in the CrossFit Games. Rich Froning has since gone on after four individual times to place, I want to say, six other first place finishes as a team and two second place finishes as a team. There is no one like that guy as far as fitness is concerned. You can look the same in all of the different sports. Look at Jerry Rice, all of his touchdowns, all of his catches, all the yards running every single time. The Mannings, their dynasty, you can look at the New England Patriots if you want to, though I don't suggest it. They have their people. But Paul was basically that. He was of the people of God. He was of the chosen of Israel. He was amazing in what he did. It just should wow us. He was circumcised on the eighth day, just like any Jewish boy should do. Check. Of the people of Israel. I'm not just a convert to Judaism. I was born in Judaism. Check. Of the tribe of Benjamin. Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was the first king in all of Israel. That's my lineage. Check. A Hebrew of Hebrews. I wasn't just Jewish. I was like kosher kosher. I was the K with the circle, with the butterfly, and another K with the circle, and a check mark. I was kosher. As to the law, a Pharisee. The Pharisees, according to history, there were about 6,000 of them in Israel whenever Josephus was writing, a historian. About 6,000 among all the Jewish people. They not only had the law, they had the oral law. They began to amplify, to put more restrictions upon people. Jesus said about the Pharisees, listen to what they say to do, but don't do after their actions. They do teach sitting in the seat of Moses, but they are wrong. They were in control of all the synagogues in Israel. They were the ones in power. Not only was I a Jewish man of all Jewish men, I was in the elite. I was in the power strata. I was there. As zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He said it this way whenever he was given testimony before one of the officials in Caesarea after he had been arrested in Jerusalem. 
He was giving a personal testimony. He was giving an account. And he said this much more about himself. I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I was raised in Jerusalem. I was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. He was one of the top teachers in the day. According to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, but being zealous for God, as all of you are this day, I persecuted this way to the death. I bound and delivered to prison both men and women. Men and women. As the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. I even had face time with the ultimate elite and all of this nation of the people of God. From them, I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. You never gave authority to someone in Israel until they were about 30 years old and they could be trusted then. Paul was no older than about 35 when he finally came to Jesus. This man reached this pinnacle before he was even 40 years old. The word Pharisee meant a separated one. And they were. They were holy unto God the best that they tried to do. And they were separate from the people. They often looked down on the people very legalistically. And they shunned the non-Pharisees as unclean. You just aren't to my level. And they were missionaries. That's why Jesus said, you people will travel all over the earth, land and sea, to make one convert, and then you will make them twice the son of hell that you are. Paul was probably a missionary for Judaism seeking to convert Gentiles years before he ever became a Christian and would do the same to build Jesus' kingdom because he was a Pharisee, and that's what they did. That's why he said, do I still yet preach the law? Is that why I'm being persecuted? He had the religious pedigree, but he fell short of God's goal for his life. He fell short of it. What does God want with my life? I really appreciate the word our brother gave today. That at the name of Jesus... The mountains and the idols in our life that are still there can be removed forcefully by the name of Christ. Basically, we can renounce them to the Lord and with his authority say, I don't want this here anymore. You don't want this here. I agree with you. Remove it because it's your power to remove it, not mine to manifest it. But I just speak to you, Jesus, I call out to you, remove this from my life. But Paul still had his mountains. He still had his idols because Paul's goal was not God's goal. And you might ask yourself, does God really have a goal for my life? Absolutely. Absolutely. In Psalm 57 two, the writer there says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. God has a purpose for your life. And it's not for you to feel good about yourself. It's not for us to live our best life now. Burn those books in the trash. It is for his goal. You know what your best life now is? Complete sacrifice and abandon to him and letting him live through our lives. Whether that means we have 10 million in the bank or negative $10 in the bank. Let God determine our blessings. Let us simply obey and follow him. Let him be the God of our lives. He has a purpose. Will it bring you joy? Oh, absolutely. Will it be fulfilling? Oh, absolutely. It just might not be what you want it to be. I wanted to be a missionary. I really did. 
had no clue what I was going to go and preach when I got there. I just thought, if I can make myself rugged enough, learn another language, and plant my feet down, well, he said, go, in Matthew 28. Not even realizing he said, disciple them with all my teachings. Wow. (laughs) What was I going to do? But that was my goal. That's what I wanted to do until one day, Pastor Lee, and I know I've said it before, but I think it's worth repeating again. One day, the men's Bible study looked at me and said, Andrew, you are wasting your time. You just know, need to go get a job at a corporation and work your way up. And that was the most difficult thing for me because I really wanted to be somewhere else. And every single day was an act of obedience to God to give him my all and to labor as unto him in a workplace I didn't want to be for 10 years. Until he finally gave me the greatest job I'd ever had. Oh, it was just, it was amazing. And I loved the people there. It was awesome. But six months in, then I just didn't want to be there. Because God was pushing me out, pushing me out, finally pushing me out. But his will, his purpose is not always ours. So we've got to be open. We've got to listen to him. What is your goal for my life? What is the reason that I have been formed this way? Why is my mind like this? If it's not a way of sin from the fall and, you know, just kind of annoying tendencies in Andrew's mind, why have you made me this way? It's got to be for your glory. It's got to be for your purposes. In Ephesians 2.10 it says, For we are his, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. When we are born again and we are made a new creation, he has made us and he is continually fashioning us and sanctifying us into the image of his dear son Jesus. And he has actually prepared beforehand good works that we should walk in them. My goal is not to create good works. My goal is to hear his voice and read his scriptures and then walk in obedience, faith-filled, grace-empowered obedience to what he is saying. He already knows what he wants to happen. That's why Jesus said, I do what I see my father do. I say what I hear my father speak. I am in tune with him. I'm I'm one with him. But his prayer in John 17 is that we would be one with him the same way that he and his father were one. That what we hear from the spirit through the word and by the spirit, because he does speak today. He told me the exact date that I would step away from my job and lo and behold, it happened. You can hear his voice. And if you've missed it, Just tell him you've missed it. You don't want to hear another. And to teach you to hear his voice. First through the word. And as you hear through the word, you'll then be better to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit. In our daily life leading and guiding us. What is his goal? And the sad thing is, not everyone will do what God wants. I know I have not done everything God has wanted me to do to this point. Fact. I don't have to pretend. Be some legalistic Pharisee in my mind to think I'm so holy and I've done everything God wants me to do. That is just false. It's false. God's will for our lives is a battle. Your will be done here on earth, starting in this earth, this dirt that I'm made of as it is in heaven. But that's a daily prayer. I need you to do it. I'm asking you to do it. My heart is open for you to do it. Help me. The question is, will God's goals be unreached in us? What does God want to do through Austin's life? That's exciting. That's exciting. Awesome things. Wonderful things. Beautiful things. For his glory. Exciting things. 
So professed disciple of Jesus, have we stopped to submit our goals to God? Or are we just writing them down on our paper and saying, God bless it? It's not sin, so God bless it. I'm going to go make as much money as I can and start a business, but I never even ask God about it. God bless it. I'm your child. Name of Jesus. As if that is somehow the stamp of approval that means God's will is actually in it. We could do mission trips without him. We could start families without him. We can do everything without him. My wife and I were seeking the Lord. You know, she, it was, she's not the only person that this has happened to. But just as an example, last year, we lost a baby. She lost one of her uh, fallopian tubes. Our chances of having another baby are 50% reduced. I haven't had another baby for, for, you know, for a long time there. Just got to the point where I just had to decide, you know, I'm just not going to do this anymore. We're just not going to try anymore. And I was just really moving towards that way. Just really, we got to hear the voice of God. We've got to know what his will is. Began to move in the way of just not having children. And then one day she calls me and tells me, hey, I'm already pregnant. Before I had even made the decision within myself not to have a baby. It's important that we submit ourselves to God. Now I'm actually excited, not because we willed to have a baby, but because clearly he wanted this to happen. Another child. We can just open our lives to him. Some things are not sinful, like having children. But all I'm saying and suggesting is, can we talk to God and allow him in? Can we give him the rights to his property that we are? We are his vineyard. He is the gardener. Can we just say, do you want this plant here or this plant here? You choose. And I'm just going to continue to walk in this way because I know it's not sin. And if you should say, stop, turn around, go this way. Amen. Okay, great. Well, I was moving towards that way because I never felt no. And I was trusting you to lead me in the right way. And lo and behold, you did. I guess you must be real, huh? You must be real. We can actually believe we have a heavenly father and we can actually live like it. This brings freedom. It brings peace. It brings security because I know that if I'm submitting my plans to God and I am inviting other people into it and I am really asking him that he can do what he wants to it and he can kill the plan if he wants, I'm good. And you and I both know you and I are self-deceived and most dangerous. We've all done it whenever we've not wanted anyone to touch our plan. You know what that shows? It's probably not a God. Or there's something flawed in our attitude about it. And we'd be a whole lot better if we put it on the altar and invited someone to look at it. And the thing that we think they're going to say, they might. Which might show that God was trying to talk to us all along. He will speak if we have ears to hear and we ask him to. Philippians 3, 7 to 11. I was elite, Paul said. And I had reason to boast But whatever gain I had, whatever gain I had, I mean, this guy's on an upward trajectory. I really believe in my heart, and this is just speculation, I believe that if he had not followed Christ and had continued on as he was in Israel, that he had probably about another 30, 35 years before Jerusalem was taken to the ground by the Romans. Maybe he would have been remembered in Judaism as one of the top five teachers. Maybe he would have been recognized as this, but he would have lifted up his eyes in torment and hell, having never known the Messiah. What would it have mattered to reach every single goal of his life? Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. 
for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. It means he's already lost all of it. All of his doctorate, all of his letters, all of his street credibility in Israel, all of his good name, even among his family, destroyed, burnt, raised to the ground. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all, loss of all things and count them as rubbish, trash, Worthy to be burned, basically, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my, a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection was so important to Paul. He was savvy. He was smart. He was wise. Jesus said, be as uh, gentle or wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. Whenever he was brought before uh, the people in, in Jerusalem one time, they were, they were trying to catch him, right? Catch him for what he was saying. There were Pharisees and Sadducees, and he could tell. And he said, brothers, it's for the resurrection I'm here. And all the Pharisees immediately, oh, we, we find no guilt in him, no shame in him. Because what was in them was such a desire for the resurrection. The Pharisees, they didn't believe in a spirit. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't really believe in life after death, not like the Pharisees. They didn't believe in the physical resurrection of the body. But he did, and he wanted it really, really bad. Because this is what the prophet spoke of. And he found it in Christ. He found it, what he had always sought for. But his actions, his mindset was aligned wrongly because his goal was out of place. His goal was out of place. And we can even be having the right goal of serving Jesus, and then we get to determine what that means. We get to say that I'm going to serve here because I want to serve Jesus. When Jesus never said to serve there, he said, go to the tech booth. I don't want to go to the tech booth. Jesus would say to you, I didn't ask you if you want to go to the tech booth. I said, go to the tech booth. Then we finally say, amen. God, this is awesome. And he probably says, I know. That's why I wanted you here. This is why I want you to be. And whatever other details or examples, put it in the box. We can seek to glorify God, doing God-glorifying things, and be wrong. I have fasted for 10 days straight with barely any water, trying to twist God's arm to get him to save someone. Oh, God, fasting is good. Oh, God, people being saved is good. But me, legalistically trying to force him to do something that I have dictated is wrong. It was awful. I went a whole month without eating dinners. I was going to fast for missions and pray for missions an hour every day. For nothing. Trash. Fires. Burnt up. Worthless. Legalism. Waste of time. Worthless. Let God examine our lives and say, even if we're serving him, is there anything here that I am trying to do and my effort to glorify you that you've never asked me for? And we might find ourselves walking in greater freedom. We might find ourselves actually doing the will of God. Actually being fulfilled because we're communing with our creator. Doing the very thing he's called us and created us to do. What could be better than that? Paul said it's for the sake of Christ that I lost these things. 
That I might know Jesus, my Lord, my King. He's worth so much more. I count them as lost because they kept me from Jesus. They never brought me to Jesus. I had to let go of my plans as if I was going to follow and know Jesus. It was worth it all to lose it all. And I think all of us would say with him, amen. Resurrection from the dead, amen. Righteousness not from the law. I'm right there with you, Paul. I want that too. But then he says something that seems crazy. I even want to know him in his sufferings. I, I, don't, I don't want to just know him and how he suffered and study it. I want to share in his sufferings. Share in them. I don't know that I could really say that at this point. I really believe he had a greater revelation of what that meant. I think he had a greater revelation because he had already gone through the sufferings. And he's not like me standing on this side of suffering, not having necessarily tasted suffering, not just for suffering's sake, but for Christ's sake, for his work, for his kingdom and gospel. And he had tasted of the depth of intimacy that that brought. He had already known him there. So he's gone into the pool and he said, jump on in. The water is fine. There's no more fear then. God, make that real in my life because I can't force myself to do it. I don't go to LSU campus, slap someone in the face, then begin to preach the gospel and they hit me back and I say, oh, I'm suffering for Jesus. We can't force this. We simply obey Christ where he places us. And as we go preaching the gospel and living as light and salt in the earth, the kingdom of darkness will stop, try to stop us because we're going to walk to a point and it's going to be like, whoa, in the spirit, the kingdom of God has not been extended to this point in the workplace. And the moment I step over here, whew, the blowback, the flames start coming back. I want to know Christ and his sufferings. Oh, Lord, teach us what that is. Let it be so, let Christ be so sweet that we would say, I trust you because even if I'm there, I'm not a glutton for pain. I don't like sleep deprivation. I don't even like it when people look at me sideways in my workplace and think I'm weird. That hurts my feelings. Yeah, it does. But God, help me. Help me not to be a namby-pamby. Help me not to be the spiritual snowflake, God. Help me to be firm upon the rock that you said the waves and the winds could come against and wouldn't move. I'm not that in myself, but I'm asking you to make me that. You said you would do that. You're my rock. You're my strength. I have no strength. Just again, like the word said, that we would glory in our weakness, that his grace might be sufficient for us. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Paul didn't just leave behind legalism. He didn't just say, or or excuse me, he didn't just leave things behind and take on a new form of legalism. He ran towards something. I lived years of my Christian walk this way. That's bad. That's sin. I used to do it. Don't want to do it anymore. And you know what that produces in your life? A vacuum of joy. A vacuum of freedom. A just empty. And you're hard and you're mean to people because they don't measure up to what you want. Oh, I'm, I'm not the nicest guy now, but I'm telling you, 10 years ago, I was mean. I... I Y'all, I wouldn't even, un- I was wearing a polo that had two buttons on it, and I wouldn't even unbutton the top polo, the button of the polo, because I thought that was going to be immodest. What type of weirdo, what type of bondage? I'm just explaining to you, y'all. I was zealous. I was zealous. I mean, come on. How many people here have done that? Probably none. <sighs> Praise God, you are freer. You had less bondage and legalism that had to be ripped off of you. But he didn't just go to that from his 
to, to, to bondage light, bondage of sin to now the bondage of religion. He was going for something. Someone fill the vacuum. Someone with joy, someone with life, someone who was bountiful, someone who was blessed. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, just like Charles is speaking in our first service today. And he said, who is that blessed man in Psalm 1? Ultimately, Christ is that blessed man. And when you're going for him and you're getting him, you know what you are? You're more mellow. You're sweeter. Whenever you pop up at the mouth to your wife, you say very quickly, hopefully, I'm sorry. I was unkind. Please forgive me for speaking to you like I didn't have that bad attitude. And then, Lord willing, she'll say, I forgive you. And if not, he'll work on her heart. And then there's freedom in life. But this is the kind of freedom, life, gentleness, hope that comes into a life, not when we're just leaving behind something, but we're gaining something. Because at some point, the rule following will leave you high and dry. But Christ will never How could he endure all these things for what or for who was set before him? A living savior, a resurrected God man, the king of kings and Lord of lords. That is worth living and dying for. Millions of martyrs have died, not just for a creed, but for the one that the creed was just trying to point them to, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This is our God, and this was the goal of Jesus. He was seeking Jesus as his goal. Philippians 3, 12 to 14, it says, Not that I have already obtained this, that resurrection, or Jesus, or am already perfect, but I press on. I press on. I'm laboring. I'm running. And when I say labor, he labored by the grace of God. Labored by the grace of God. I can't become more holy by saying I'm going to read 10 chapters a day. But I can say, oh God, I want to know you more. And I think after praying to you and looking at my schedule and the time I've got, that if I read maybe one or two chapters a day, you might speak to me in it. And you give them room to adjust and you move on. He labored. He pressed on to make it his own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. I am captured by someone and yet I have not fully obtained to wrap my arms around completely all that he is. Though his arms are securely around me, but I am pressing on. Why? Because I'm continually rewarded and satisfied every time I find him. I don't just get to him one time and this great, amazing time of prayer. And, oh, you know, there's a guy named Paul Washer. Wouldn't recommend everything he teaches. Respect him in some ways. But he speaks about this time he went and he was throwing rocks at heaven. Oh, God, speak to me. Out near Austin, Texas. Oh, God, speak to me. Speak to me. And then he goes and he's setting his alarm for like every 10 or 15 minutes. I'm not going to sleep all night. Oh, God. You know, just uh, there's right desire, I think, mixed in with some him trying to do it. But at least he was going for it, right? You know what happened? God did show up. It did show up. He said, it felt like the roof of my apartment was ripped off. It felt like flames were coming down upon me. I thought I was going to be consumed by fire. And he and us are not called to live for that one-time experience and say, this one time I was caught up in the glory of God. This one time. I know a man better than that. I know a man who was caught up in the spirit. And the flat body or out of the body, I don't know. Who saw things that cannot be described. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. 
things that cannot be uttered. Heaven, Godhead, himself perhaps, in some manner. And yet you're not satisfied? No, because I'm not living on yesterday's manna. I'm not living on who Christ is the way I experienced him then. That's simply my motivation to keep running. I've already come this far in the marathon race. And now I've been given a cliff bar and some water along the way. I've seen the satisfaction of coming this far. Am I going to stop this close to the finish line? No, I'm going to keep going because I'm captured by him. I'm captured by Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. He says it twice. But one thing, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, even his excesses, even the churches he planted, all of it, I leave it behind. Was it bad? No. But I'm not trying to build another resume. I don't, want, I don't need my LinkedIn profile to have all my stuff. I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. You can see those analogies again of sports. I press on toward the goal for the prize. This is my goal. The upward call of God and Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Praise God. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. God has spoken to everyone in this room. Even if you are a person who are somehow in here and you have denied God, his creation has proclaimed to you day after day and night after night his wisdom, his power, his strength, his Godhead, and that you are accountable to him. And you have either excused yourself or accused others based on who you know God to be as revealed on what you have heard from Scripture, the little you may know, or from creation. Or we as believers have been spoken to through his word and by his spirit. What he has spoken to us, let's give ourselves to. What we do know that he has said for our lives. Let's say, give me the grace of God to do it. Because as far as I know, this is your will for me. But most of all, maturity is this. Let Christ be my one thing. My main thing, because if he is, everything else will flow out of that. But Andrew, you're not being practical enough. What does it mean to make him my one thing? Just go before him and let him do that in your life. Just let him do it. Because if I give you a list of anything, all of a sudden it becomes a list of rules now, which you measure yourself against, that someone gave you. Which again will lead you over here instead of to the goal. And you're going to be like Paul, and I'm going to be like Paul, saying, if I can do this, then Jesus is my one thing. When Jesus is saying, no, no, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Just get yoked up with me and walk with me, and I'm going to show you all the things that satisfy my heart. And it is going to be lived out in you. And this is not something for super Christians. This is not a take it or leave it. Christianity in America for the most part, and I don't think I'm something saying this, but it is not healthy. It is not. We, we separate ourselves and classify ourselves as, oh, that's okay for them. I, I did have an experience with God. I professed, I lifted my hand those years ago, and I was even water baptized. And I go to church today, I'm 
not a bad person, you know. I believe in God and I'm going to help here and help there a little bit. But other than that, outside the church walls, our lives are completely possessed of ourselves. That is not biblical Christianity. That is not the call of Jesus. The call of Jesus was not just, just believe. That is erroneous. He said, repent, believe, and follow. Believers, follow. He said twice in the Bible, Christian. All the other hundred times, 200 times, disciple. Do you know what disciple means? One under the tutelage or discipline of a teacher. One who is constantly under that person, receiving their instruction. Not just to hear a good Bible study, but the expectation that with the help of this teacher, I will walk it out and live it out. That is biblical Christianity. That is real. And anything less than that is false. He said, if you love mother, father, wife, children more than me, you are not worthy to be my disciple. Not worthy. And I think it might be possible for us to fall into the place where we actually give those things greater opportunity and power in our lives than Christ. But that is a betrayal of Jesus. Betrayal. Because if I am his disciple and if he is my one thing, I will love my wife and ask for her forgiveness. And she will in turn forgive me even if it is difficult and if I have wronged her. And the same back to her. And if I'm too harsh with my children, the Holy Spirit, if Christ is my one thing, will convict me. And I will go to my child and I will say, Ezra, forgive me. Will you please forgive me? I was too angry when I spoke to you. And I'm going to pattern to him that a real man repents and is humble because that's what Christ wants. And I'm going to be right in all things in increasing measure because his grace will be actively working in me. That is the life of a disciple. Anything else, I really would say, Check the foundation and make sure it has a legit inspection certificate. Because in Matthew 7, it says this. Many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord. This is not talking to believers who walked away from Christ. Trust. What does it say? I will say to you, I never, ever knew you. Ever. Why? The wise man builds his house upon the rock. He takes my sayings and he does them. What person does the things of God? Only the person who is born again inside. Only the person who is a disciple. Only the person who has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And if your heart yearns like mine for this to be true, then perhaps that's a good indication that you really are a disciple of his. And cry out to him just like me and say, do this in me because it is not in me the way I want it to be. The Holy Spirit is committed to his goal in us. He is actively working in your life to do everything he wants. Fail as much as we do. Fall into sin as much as we do. Distracted as much as we get. As much as we pick up our phones whenever we're trying to be in the prayer closet. With whatever. Guilty, 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 guilty. He is committed to us. We're not left alone. We're not told to come at the end of this message and just repent, weep, mourn, and do nothing else. Beat yourself and set more goals. If I need to repent, I'll repent. I will agree with you. But you know what my next step is? To trust in faith that the one who started a good work in me will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. This is his work. This is his work. Paul was what he was 
by the grace of God. Yet I labored more than the all, but not I, the grace of God in me. God is working in you, believer. I'm simply encouraging you. Give him a little bit more opportunity. Receive the grace of God a bit more in faith and not in vain. That's what I want for my life. Let's just open our hearts to him and allow him to do what he wants. This is possible, not just for Paul. This is not just Paul. I refuse to believe it. I don't have to because I read this and I felt a little bit of despair in my life. I felt really, really far away from God in that moment. But he said, follow me. He said, let those of you who are mature think this way. I can think that way too. Yeah. God can do this in me. Oh, yeah. This is the upward call for all in Christ Jesus. And God even has the patience for us when we fight him and we try to hold on to our earthly goals tighter than we should. And he's continually working to pull our hands off of the thing that we're grabbing hold of like a fussy two-year-old. Like one person, F.B. Myers, preacher from the 1800s, he said, when we open up our hands finally and open it up to God, we'll find that all we had in there were a bunch of crushed and crumbled leaves that we were just fighting to hold on to whenever he had so much more for us. Whoever's going to close in music, you can come up now. I just want to speak and encourage you for one more moment. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 to 25, it says this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the God of peace himself, not you, yourself. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Oh, what rejoicing. What freedom in life. How wonderful. He is able to do it no matter how much you have failed. I don't care if it's been 10 or 20 years. And the greatest glory you've ever experienced in Christ was the moment when you repented, believed, and began to follow him. That is not the greatest, friend. There are better days ahead. Days of glory. Days of him being the ultimate goal in our lives. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. I want you to be set free today. Set free to cut loose and to just come down And lay down all your goals. I have goals. I'd love a black belt in jujitsu. I haven't even taken a single lesson, but I'd like it. But I got to submit that to Jesus. It's going to take time. It would take effort. It would take finances. Would that glorify him? He might just say yes. Amen. Good for your exercise. Only go once a week. You may have things and God is going to say, yes, I want you to do that. Yes, you have liberty to do this. Yes, you have freedom to do this. Open your hands to him and you're going to find he's going to pull other things out and then he's going to put other things in and he will be the centerpiece and we'll be able to walk with Paul and follow him in this.